0: This is Structured Rambling, a podcast about ideas from literature and about literature. Episodes can focus on a single text or a theme from multiple texts. My name is Paul To be Welcome. The word epic, that is... E P O C H. I pronounced it as epoch as a kid. Uh, I don't know. Kid, probably, till I was in my 30s. I don't know. But the word epoch is a weird word. It's designated for a recognizable period, but not one with a specific time, like a decade or a century or a millennium. An epoch is generally recognized as being longish and also for being recognizable recognized for being recognizable the middle ages was an epic so was the glory time of ancient egypt rome both republican and imperial was nazi germany an epic i'm sure it felt like it but it was only 12 years feudal japan was an epic the age of exploration the renaissance we recognize them and generally agree on their existence, despite their having no tangible dates, save those attributed after the fact. Like, if I may, the Viking epic ended in 1066 with the fall of Harold Hardrada Hadrada at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. More generally, Rome fell in the late 400s AD. Something else that makes a recognizable epic is how much it's revisited in historical study and in fiction. That's what makes World War II an epic, I guess. The sheer number of study of films of literature dedicated to it. It's full of stories. I think I'm going to do a whole episode on why I feel that is, but I, I did a war episode not too long ago, and I'm on the history line for a little bit here, and this is still a literature and film podcast, mostly film today, but it's—it's it's, I'm not going full bore into history. Don't worry. Of all these... Genres for film and literature centered on a specific time period, none is so forced, so fabricated, so American as the Old West. The Western has existed for so long as a cultural myth is so taken for granted as real that we forget to take a step back and realize that it's almost completely made up, not Totally, no, the violent daves of the American frontier were a thing. But the Hollywood machine, in a century more of acceptance and reverence, has ignored just how much this forced American epoch is forced, made up, and incredibly cliché. Now, Westerns are generally set in the late 1800s, usually in some way associated with the period following the U.S. Civil War, and yet they are defined by the mid-20th century, a period where America was rewriting itself as a world superpower and, through its storytelling, attempting to establish its myth of self anew. Destiny was being manifested. The days of the American frontier did have some tense moments, especially in the Deep South. There were bandits, cattle rustlers, train robbers, and outlaws, but not behind every bush. The American myth is entrenched in names like Billy the Kid, Jesse James, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, sketchy characters, criminals, but they're impossible not to see after their post hollywoodification Henry McCarthy would become famous to fake history as Billy the Kid. He, he appears to be a troubled orphan who committed petty crimes and eventually murders. He allegedly killed four people. 4. There may have been more, there may have been fewer, but the point is that he killed less people in his entire life than in 20 minutes of either Young Guns film or one of the other 50 Hollywood movies featuring Mr. The Kid, including Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Billy was a criminal, a killer, but he was also an American, and so he, Jesse James, and all the rest get painted with the Robin Hood brush. Killers become heroes. What is the appeal of the American Western? Like most stories of huge appeal, it's the simplicity. The keys are easy. There's a town with a single street. The law isn't functioning out there. Add a threatened single mother or a prostitute with a heart of gold. In rides a quiet stranger with narrowed eyes and a stubble jaw. What's important to our hero is key to the American dream. He's gruff, stoic, unemotional, in no way in touch with his inner self, no way in touch with femininity of any kind. He sees everything in a binary scope, and when in doubt, his solution is gun violence. The cowboy without cows. The gunslinger. America personified. I wasn't asked to come here, but me and my gun are going to you know, we're going to clean this situation up, whether you like it or not, could easily be the declaration of entering the Middle East. The Western is one of the oldest Hollywood formulas. And in actual fact, when Hollywood was still beginning to build its myth, the Old West, the real place, not the Hollywood myth, was kind of still in existence. But Hollywood would come up with the idea that every second train or stagecoach got robbed, that wild quote-unquote Indians were around every corner and that anyone could call anyone else into the street to be gunned down in a quick draw without facing murder charges. The West is the first historical epic nearly fully created by fiction and is so much bigger than the facts that it's almost impossible to tell what is true historically at all. It starts and ends with one name, John Wayne. Well, it started before him, but let's face facts. John Wayne is the Western. He's the comfort food of American actors. John Wayne is the symbol of the American Western of the mid-20th century. The decades he w- for decades, he was held up as the epitome of the man's man, the action hero. And what was he? Contrived. Fake. He was an actor. A completely made-up persona that came to symbolize a reality. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Decades Later, Wayne represented all that Western movies was. The fake, forced, impossible masculinity with no grounding in reality. And at least Arnold Schwarzenegger could make fun of it. In the glory days of the genre in the 1940s and 50s and early 60s, Wayne's heyday, Hollywood demanded that Westerns become a valid historical time period. A valid genre. It's a relatively time tiny time period in a very specific place unlike the middle ages or even world war ii which at least was a world war but more than gangster movies or sports movies or cop buddy movies there is no genre more associated with america built for and by america like the western for two generations, the Western film followed that simple formula that convinced America that the world that it, and the world that it was valid cinema and that it represented some kind of real history. In it, two sides line up, clearly defined as good and bad, and in the end, issues are solved with gun violence, but somehow no blood. In a time where America was in a complex and very bloody war with Japan, it made an ideal distraction. John Wayne and his kind became the most noble of American heroes. And I don't think it's too far of a stretch to say um, the American binary of U.S., that is us, and them, and its worship of gun culture have their root in the myth told to itself, by itself, about itself, the Western. This is my opinion, and it has deeply affected how Americans see history, especially their own. All history is embellished with extravagant, exciting, narrative, and outright lies. Westerns in television and literature and every other subsequent medium have come to reflect this lie as well, not just film. Only in the late 1960s, when the genre was almost as old as the century itself, did you see the first anti-Westerns or Westerns with a little variety. But there, at the same time, they had to compete with the cheap, derivative Italian-produced spaghetti westerns and traditional westerns. For the most part, fans of the traditional western only wanted that formula like they had in the old days. It's what made John Wayne the star he was. Not because he could act, but because you knew exactly what to expect from him. The movies would have clearly defined good and bad guys and the bloodless eh, excessive violence with the guy always falling through a railing when he gets shot. Do I sound like I'm harping on John Wayne? I'm sorry, I am. I despise the John Wayne myth. This is a man who played cowboys and soldiers, became the pinnacle of masculinity in the American dream, all while being a fake, and then helping to persecute American war veterans who happened to be socialists, who actually fought in the war he didn't. Plus, he made a pro-Vietnam War film. I can't stand the John Wayne myth, but I digress. Westerns were never character-driven. Even the 1953 film Shane, a standout of the genre, mostly loses its novel's push, the, the source material novel, loses the push of the reluctant gunslinger. It's more just waiting around to shoot folks. And as delightful as Jack Palance is, in that movie, you don't get a lot more black hat than that performance. Despite Sergio Leone and his ilk creating spaghetti westerns with, you know, kind of dimensional characters, but mostly one-dimensional characters like Clint Eastwood's gruff, steely-eyed blondie, the plots were sometimes a little bit more fun, and a few of the supporting characters were interesting. That's why, despite its length, the good, the bad, and the ugly almost deserves to be remembered for more than its soundtrack. Now, the only thing more American than the Western is baby boomers and the counterculture. And though those poor folks are taking it on the chin of late for fighting against war and then embracing capitalism and supercharging climate change and the housing crisis, one thing they did do was move traditional American art, film, and popular music in a new direction. And one thing that came from that is a more thoughtful and character-driven Western. And for better or for worse, the anti-Western. This has given the genre sustainability through the subsequent 50 years, though, of course, in that there have been loads of traditional Westerns as well. Consider the 1969 work of brilliance that is Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. This thing was loved and it was was based on on real people, but it doesn't even attempt to be a so-called biopic. Instead, it wisely relies on the charm and banter of its two leads played by Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Really, that's what the movie is about. It's a buddy movie, these two fellas being silly, and that's what makes it awesome. It's an anti-Western because for the latter half of the movie, our heroes are simply running and paranoid. It does end in a shootout, but it's marginally ambiguous. There's no black hat. Actually, uh, intentionally, there's a white hat and the ultimate fate of the heroes is clear, but not shown. When I was a kid, I saw Silverado, the western for the Star Wars generation. Great fun, but looking back on it now, you see how desperate an attempt it is to bring the old-style genre back. In the mire of post-Vietnam films, you got a lot of that Reagan-era saccharine and attempts to bring back the good old days. Silverado is a fun film. With neutered violence, but it sure seems to be a reaction to the anti-Westerns of the 60s and 70s. Even with Reagan on the throne and Sylvester and Arnold ruling the box office by the end of the 80s, it was clear that Hollywood couldn't just retract its most sacred and derivative genre. At the end of the 80s, you had the most successful western of a generation in Dances with Wolves. Now, despite its being helmed by and starring Kevin Costner, who was in Silverado a few years before and would go on to movies like Open Range and the show Yellowstone, making him the king of the modern cowboys, I've always felt that Dances with Wolves Wolves, is only a western by a technicality, time and place. It's as much about traditional Hollywood cowboys and, quote, Indians as Apocalypse Now is about a, is a traditional war film. It took until 1989 for a major film to undo some of the many great wrongs done to North American indigenous by Hollywood. Traditionally, again, quote, Indians were just a savage danger, something to pose a problem and attack wagon trains. Leonard Nimoy played one. Think about that. Some gentler takes in the 1970s, such as Little Big Man and the recognition of Chief Chief Dan George, helped, but Dances with Wolves was a whole different level. It presented the Sioux as human, with failings and strengths, with senses of humor and daily strife. Yes. It's a white savior movie, and Costner is a Union soldier turned Sioux ally. He filters the movie for us, but if the movie is a genuine Western, it's maybe the best one ever. A decade and a half later, Costner would do Open Range, a slow burn, stereotypical Western with the big shootout in which at one point he actually says the words, rustle up some grub. So Dances with Wolves was lightning in a bottle right around the turn of that decade in the 80s and the 90s those of us of a certain age will remember when a big chunk of the 80s brat pack appeared ensemble in the mtv inspired young guns emilio estevez played billy the kid in a version where get this he was just a sadly misunderstood anti-hero with a heart of gold all those murders well those were genuinely bad folks so we can basically cheer for him The sequel made this weird attempt to be historical, building on the first movie that was almost in no way related to it anymore. So the first one ended in a slow motion epic shootout with one-liners and a Jack Palance headshot, and the second one just sort of petered out with most of the protagonists dead. And the mystery of did Pat Garrett shoot Billy the Kid in the back or not, all to the slow weeping of electric guitars and John Bon Jovi crooning. The Western was made cool for Generation X. The 1990s saw an interesting back and forth between anti and traditional westerns. The big anti was Clint Eastwood's Unforgiven, where he plays a uh, what if Blondie settled down character. Eastwood and Morgan Freeman convey a lot of pathos as gunslingers past their prime, but of course it's Gene Hackman who steals the show as a, a humane villain. The shootout ending in an is more of an anti-shootout because it's just a plain old massacre. Hackman would win an Oscar but then go on to play a typical black hat in the absolutely stupid film The Quick and the Dead, which also had uh on top of Sharon Stone, uh, uh Russell Crowe and Leonardo DiCaprio. But man, the only redeeming quality about that movie is it tries to have a western with a female protagonist but less said the better. Around the time of Unforgiven, Costner did the completely forgettable biopic Wyatt Earp, and within the same year, Kurt Russell did the almost cartoonish Tombstone. Now I'll admit my own hypocrisy. I have a soft spot for Tombstone. It's a typical derivative western, but Val Kilmer's take on Doc Holliday delighted me when I was 14 and it delights me now. But it's a silly movie, almost completely devoid of historical accuracy. Again, Doc Holliday kills more people in one scene than he's alleged to have killed in his whole career. Maybe it's just that I saw it the day after touring old Tucson in Arizona, the movie studios where it was shot, with my grandpa. Maybe that's why. So this is where we sit now. There are three kinds of westerns being released in the modern era. A third are attempts to bring back the typical humorless, ultra-masculine American myth, films like 310 to Yuma, the remake, um, whatever Kevin Costner is currently doing. Even that not-too-bad Netflix series, Godless, which did have some great characterization and a few surprises and uh, women characters who who had more than one scene, it still falls into the slow build to a general shootout cliché. The second is the anti-hero Western, like uh, News of the World or Hostiles, which sometimes fall into the violent genre, but at least, you know, sort of continue to treat its setting with the same reverence and significance. The West matters. Um, Third, there is the art film genre, such as The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford, um, or quite differently, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Which, they take the genre, they accept you know and love, but then turn it sideways. Um, Interestingly, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the first story in that is a musical starring the wonderful Tim Blake Nelson. He would also do Old Henry, which looked like a good movie, turned out to basically be a retread of Unforgiven. And, spoiler but don't see it, it sucks... He's Billy the Kid anyways. So movie 51 featuring Billy the freaking Kid. And I checked. That old Henry doesn't have a woman in it. Not a single female in the movie. That's Western defined. Even the great modern filmmakers feel they have to churn out a Western or two. The Coen brothers did Buster Scruggs. But they also did a remake of True Grit. um, Starring a real actor uh, playing uh the the role that john wayne actually got an oscar for if you can believe that even quentin tarantino has done two westerns the man has only done 10 or is only doing 10 films he says and two of them two westerns the hollywood genres america has created for itself are the sports film the war film the gangster film and the western the other three exist in some capacity in other markets, but nothing says American movie like a Western. All of these genres are ultra-masculine. If female characters even appear, and often in a warm film, they do not. They are at best damsels in distress, and at worst chaffed for the hero to sift through, look over, possibly sleep with if he has time. I feel it's very telling that all of these genres, but the Western most of all, save perhaps combat movies, is so very devoid of the feminine element of any kind. If the Western, as I attest, is America's myth to itself, then what would you say America is saying about itself when it says women are meaningless or only there to support slash be saved by men? Oh, and let's not even think about minorities. Black cowboys are so rare that it's still considered original or a joke. The term cowboy alone. The Western has told us this means the same thing as a gunslinger, a murderer. A cowboy was a herder. My ancestors, well not ancestors, a couple generations ago, they were cowboys and they didn't have six shooters on their hips. The myth of the American Western has replaced the violent minority making them the stereotyped majority. All other genre films occur outside the United States. All other genre films, horror, fantasy, war, pirate sport, swashbuckling, is that pirate too? I don't know, romance, medieval, any period piece America has to share. The western is the most derivative piece of film, and it remains popular, it remains a genre because Americans have used it to create their own false history despite the whole genre being about a very brief time in a very specific place. They want to tell you that it is as valid as all of the other genres. They have forced it upon us. The concept of the Western is so finite that it can't possibly evolve. Even the art films or the anti-films are so caught by the, the kinds of the genre's expressions, the expectations, I should say, that a Western is just a Western even when it's trying not to be. It's still in the West, which means chaps, hats, six-shooters clinking when you walk. The Western is an insistence by America that a small time and place was a key time in world history worth making art about because America has long been about its own myths. That Western is seen on the same level as Greek or futuristic or Egyptian. It shows how impactful this deceit of myth has become. It has had such an impact that stories of the real West, the settlers, the cowherds, the genuine indigenous, the genuine cowboys and girls, have been all but lost in a forced, heroic fabrication. I want to thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed my podcast, please feel free to give me a rating and review episodes come out at the beginning and middle of pretty much every month have a great day